This is the Hearts and Minds podcast, conversations about investing and impact. Welcome to the Hearts and Minds podcast. I'm Maggie O'Neill, Head of Marketing and Operations. Thank you for joining us today. So why did we start a podcast? Well, every day we are privileged to engage in meaningful conversations that stretch our understanding of the world and impact we are making. We invite you to join these conversations with the brilliant minds that are part of the Hearts and Minds ecosystem to understand more about the impact you're making. Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by Chief Investment Officer, Charlie Lanchester. Hey, Charlie. Hey, Maggie. Great to be here. How are you doing today? Good. And uh, today we're joined by none other than June Beilu of Tribeca Investment Partners. Since taking over the Alpha Plus Long Short Fund, she has had great performance and grown the business exponentially. It's been a real pleasure to get to know her better in my new role as the CIO at Hearts and Minds. Indeed, and there's actually so much more to June Bay than her investing prowess, as I've come to learn in my years of knowing her. She's a prolific contributor to Australia's financial services sector, writing a regular column for the AFR and making frequent appearances for key media outlets, as well as a speaker at industry events, including ours, the Stone Hearts and Minds Investment Leaders Conference. She enjoys sharing her knowledge, which comes across today in in the conversation, and her love for markets, particularly new investors, trying to promote the growth of like-minded females within the industry. She provides mentoring opportunities. She does a lot of work. She's an ambassador for Ray's Foundation as well. Not to mention, she's a HM1 core fund manager and repeat conference fund manager, each time delivering memorable and insightful presentations. And if that wasn't everything, she's also fluent in Mandarin, a published author, all very impressive for someone who learned English at 16 years old when she immigrated to Australia. Yeah, look, it's a fascinating story. And I really enjoyed this conversation today, learning about that journey to be portfolio manager of Tribeca's Alpha Plus Fund. We also learned about her investment style and why she loves the stocks that she was recommended for the Hearts and Minds portfolio. It was a really great conversation. Yeah, fantastic. Well, without further ado, let's jump in. Here's June Bay. Welcome, June Bay, to the Hearts and Minds podcast. It's great to have you with us. Good morning, Charlie. Thank you so much for having me and always love to chat. (laughs) That's great. You're in the right place. Maybe to start with, let's do a brief recap of your career. You started as an analyst with Morningstar, moved into stockbroking and then landed at Tribeca in the funds management industry. And currently you run the very successful Alpha Plus Long Short Fund. If you were to look back in the rearview mirror, was there a pivotal moment that really um, changed your career where, where things took off? Look, absolutely. I would say that it is when I moved from an analyst position into a portfolio management position just over four and a half years ago. As an analyst, you do a lot of groundwork and you learn about investing and companies and sectors and the like. But it's not until when you actually take over running a full portfolio that you realize how to generate return on the portfolio scale. And also, this is the point where I actually you know, meet a lot of my clients, really understand um, and see how I can help these people people to improve their superannuation and future lifestyle and also feel that daily responsibility that it is their hard-earned capital that I am putting at risk to generate return. And that is quite a key point, I think, where my career grew at the same time where I feel my personal growth really took off. Yeah, look, I remember making the same transition and it's a really big day Mm. when you inherit a portfolio or start managing a Mm. portfolio for real. And I think it doesn't suit everyone. I I think Mm. a lot of analysts make that step and it doesn't really suit them. How did you feel that first day when you were managing the portfolio and trading yourself? Oh, look, terrifying. And also you can't really show you're terrified. (laughs) So clearly it was a lot of responsibility. Um, Now, I know I have the right experience. I know I have the right everything to to make it successful. But clearly the confidence is not there in day one. But what was really fortunate for me was I had a lot of clients who were real believer in me. And that really helped me to really, in the first six months, to gradually build that confidence 
confidence. So I know I could do it, but it just took time to really build that confidence. And once you start getting to that point where you know you could do it, and every day you kind of just get up and then just do what you do best, which is finding, uh, siphon through all the noise and finding the best investment opportunity. Yeah. And how would you describe your unique style as a portfolio manager and and how has it evolved over the last four and a half years? I think over the last four and a half years, it's more about, I learn more about myself and what I feel comfortable investing. So my style is really, I go after any investment opportunity. I don't really confine myself to growth or value or, you know, risk on, risk off. I look to really generate return in any market condition. And it's fortunate that this portfolio I run that has the long short capability. So I can actually take a lot of risk out of my portfolio when I do go after the opportunity that could be sometimes counter consensus. It might take a little while for people to realize there's value. So to be able to generate consistent return, I need to be able to use the short book to cover on that front. But over the last four years, I have found that I am much more strategic and in terms of, you know, focus on some of the intrinsic value. So a lot of time people say, oh, you know, your portfolio, it it is tactical. You know, sometimes you can trade for a upcoming catalyst or result and things. Uh, How can you be strategic? Well, I always believe as an investor, you need to be very strategic, understanding how much the company is worth, understanding what's the long-term valuation. And once you understand that, then you can understand how you can um, sort of tactically work the valuation. So if the company is rallying way too hard into a result where you know it will be somewhere in line, the expectation is very, very significant. Then there's a tactical 20, 30, sometimes 30% return opportunity. Why wouldn't you do so? But as an investor, you have to anchor to a fundamental valuation. Once you anchor that, then you can, you know, really work out when you take the opportunity and you wait for the opportunity to come to you, given the current market condition. Volatility is there. So there's a significant amount of opportunity we see on a daily basis. And how do you uh, respond? Obviously, um, you never know everything in funds management. We're making decisions with often limited information, so we don't always get it right. And so how, how do you react when the investment case changes and you have to you know, move on from a high conviction idea to something else? How, how do you react to that? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. I just think in funds management, we should never really fall in love with a company that we buy. We love good quality companies, but I always see the job for an investor in the share market. There are two things. One is to find a good quality company, and two is a workout if the valuation is correct. And so these two components will drive the overall return. And now uh, what we do is that, you know, you find the company, and then if the valuation sometimes is uh, perhaps um, maybe not correct, and you take the position. Now, and then at the same time, we've got to be pragmatic every single day because things change. Business go wrong and unexpected things happen all the time. We didn't expect pandemic to take place. And when it did, you need to move with the market. You need to see what is presented, what's the new information, and then reassess your investment thesis because you know, investment thesis is done on the basis that nothing dramatically happens. And if it does happen, what happens to my valuation, my stock and everything. And I find that if you do that consistently, it will help you really to eventually find the long-term investment opportunity and build the right position towards it. At the same time, sell the losers that potentially it was perhaps a hype. So it's very, very important to readjust your assessment of the investment opportunity uh, whenever there's new 
noise flow. And then just to work out whether it's noise or whether it's actually something going to impact the business. One thing I've learned over the years is that, you know, management team is very, very important. Running a business, sometimes as an analyst or fund manager, we forgot how hard it is as a business. You know, things go wrong every single day. And it's those people, those team of management that has a track record that actually know how to deal when things goes wrong. How do they, you know, whether they have the right process in place, whether they have the right team in place to respond to things when they aren't going according to plan. So for me, I do put a lot of emphasis on the management team and track record, their experience, innovation, investment, all of that in place generally ensures a good business. Excellent. And you've recently been appointed a core manager at Hearts and Minds after a number of years contributing to the, the conference. I think you've been one of the best conference managers. I've, I've seen you uh, in person presenting not only great stock picks, but really good presentations as well. So congratulations on that. Can you share a little bit about what this means to you to be part of Hearts and Minds? I feel incredibly honoured to be part of that. I personally, you know, as a fund manager, I feel I've been fortunate in my career that people supported me going through my career. I want to be able to give back in the way that, you know, really contribute to make a difference. Heart and Mind really offers that opportunity to be able to give back and support an area of medical research. And I feel incredibly honoured and fortunate to be part of it and also being part of it for many, many years. I've watched this conference grow and I myself have grew with the conference. Anyone that has not been to this conference should definitely go because every year it's a phenomenal lineup of fund managers that are, you know, hand-selected by your amazing team of executive and these managers are from all over the world and talk about their stock pick and every stock pick is, has a different flavor. You know, it's almost, it's not just to stop it. It is a presentation. It's a, it's almost a performance also. So I always have an incredible, amazing time whenever I'm part of the conference. And thank you for the opportunity for me to be part of it. Yeah, well, look, well done for enjoying the process. Um, it's a lot of pressure, I think, not not only presenting to that big room of people, but often in front of your peers is, uh, <laughs> makes it even more <laughs> stressful. So, you know, well done and I congratulate your enthusiasm. Looking at some of those stock picks over the years, many of them have had a, a connection to the Chinese market, including the one that we've got in the portfolio this year. You obviously have a deep understanding of that market in, and its demographics. When we look forward right now, there clearly are some issues, some uncertainties. Mm. Uh, what's actually going on at the moment in your view? Absolutely. So look at that market is, um, you know, it's a secular trend that has been on for a long time. The Chinese consumer, it has been and will continue to be a very big driver for lots of returns and lots of economic prosperity. Now, last couple of years has been really tough for Chinese consumer with the hard lockdown as well as the regulatory changes and also geopolitical uncertainty. Look, what's happening at the moment is that Chinese government has recognized it is a very large economy. It needs to grow. Chinese consumer need a bit more prosperity because once they have prosperity, then you have a very sustainable growing large economy. So the government's been very focused on driving that growth. Uh, first quarter, we saw incredible growth in China now, which has been so fast that not many people expected that kind of uh, GDP growth when you're just coming out of lockdown and they did it. Now, 
One thing about the Chinese economy that many foreign investors don't understand is that it's a managed economy. They don't like to see bubbles or they don't like to see crashes. So they like to see a managed number coming through. So when the first quarter grew so fast, then they thought, look, perhaps we can take our foot off the pedal in terms of stimulus because let's not give too much money. We see inflation everywhere around the world. Let's not get to the same issue as our peers. Let our existing consumer and other businesses to catch up on that sort of slack. And uh, unfortunately, the consumer was not strong enough and the business was not strong enough. Housing didn't quite pick up that momentum following from the first quarter at the same time when the stimulus sort of being relaxed somewhat. And uh, so hence now the second quarter growth has been disappointing. However, as Chinese managed economy, you come back in and say, you know what, we need to get that growth target. So that's what it is. It's just readjustment of uh, trying to manage a slow growth into a more sustainable uh, sort of mid-single digit type of growth. And I, my view is that they will get there. And it's the stimulus noise is getting louder and louder and louder. And if you look at within China, what's happening with the consumer front. The difference with consumer is that compared to the Western country, Chinese consumer never had any post-COVID or COVID sort of uh, lockdown stimulus. They didn't have handout. They didn't have any job keeper or any job guarantee. So the minute the economy reopened, all of them actually want to find a job. So, you know, that does make some of the foreign travel, international travel a little bit slower than expected. Even though, though, uh, having said that, we are seeing in terms of services, within China, the domestic travel is 20% above pre-COVID level within China. Outbound, less than 20% of the pre-COVID. So, you know, people haven't started doing that because they're still working for a job. There's a bit of quite a lot of backlog. And also, if you look at the hotels, restaurants, picking up very significantly. Um, You look at the students coming through very significantly. Actually, the second semester enrollment has been very, very strong out of Chinese economy. So all of that are happening and it's just time. And to us, this is a fantastic opportunity when everyone else has written off those opportunities is when you actually build your position. Yeah, look, it's very interesting coming out of COVID, how different uh, that Chinese experience has been. And I think, you know, for a number of companies that either benefited or Mm -hmm. conversely uh, were impacted by COVID, how hard it's been to measure the effects post-COVID. You know, obviously some of the e-commerce stocks did incredibly well and then all fell in a heap. Uh, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, last couple of years just been incredibly um, interesting. And and as you can see in the share market, this is where you make your opportunity, both long and short side, that when everyone gets really excited and all that hype about certain things will disappear forever. You know, people like to draw straight lines or people will never go back to the office again. People will Zoom every single meeting. People will, you know, all these um, theses and people will shop forever. You know, there's no physical retailer needed and all of that. But look, things change, things revert. We do have that period of revenge spending, but it is coming back. And uh, same as the US, things are coming back somewhat. And China is just at the verge about to take off. In the next 12 months, you will see quite a significant trend. And I will say travel is something like next couple of years, um, you are going to see significant outbound out of China. And remember, Chinese tourists before COVID was a multi-decade secular sort of uh, growth sector. So anything exposed to that is going to be a beneficiary. And Australia actually is very well positioned in this dynamic. And good news is that our relationship is improving. And hopefully some of our products and other areas will, will benefit from that. Fantastic. And look, as you know, uh, being a heart to minds manager, we're after your highest conviction picks, particularly now as a, as a core manager. When you sort of zoom back out and, and think about your investment philosophy, what, what type of business, what, what is it you look for in one of your you know, top 
positions within the fund? Look, what we're looking for is very high quality companies that has a strong track record and the company that would generate double digit growth for the years to come. This is the pick that we will put for the heart and mind because it is something that will offer great growth, very defensive. It's not linked to a sort of economic sensitivity because we know we're heading into a slowdown. So this is how we see in the heart and mind portfolio. And this is how we see it will deliver significant return for the beneficiaries of Hearts and Minds. As someone who's also grown up alongside the conference and Hearts and Minds more broadly, I particularly loved hearing that June Bay feels similarly. It's a great reflection, I think, of the whole of community effort that contributes to the success of Hearts and Minds and ultimately our impact. Yeah, look, it's a wonderful structure where fund managers give their time for free and interact with the fund, but also direct some of the money towards medical research. So they're really incentivized, if you like, to grow the mm. fund. Like the better the fund goes, the more money they get to allocate to their beneficiaries. And look, I'm thrilled to be working with June Bay. I think she you know, supported the conference early on as a conference manager and I think is well rewarded in now becoming one of our core managers. Yes, certainly. It's a great appointment indeed. And that leads us straight into the next half of the conversation where we dive a little deeper into those stocks that she's recommended into the HM1 core portfolio. Yes, look, I think people will be really interested to hear more about Next DC and CSL that we talk about today. These are two of our listed Australian stocks, albeit that CSL is very much an international global name within the portfolio. But June Bay knows these companies very well and uh, it's a fascinating discussion. Yeah, great to hear more. Let's pick it back up. Welcome back, June Bay. We're now going to deep dive into two of the stocks that are in the Hearts and Minds portfolio. And first of all, NextDC. This is a technology company that's obviously benefited from the increasing use of data that we all use every day. And underpinning all this data, of course, are the data centres that NextDC owns. So how do you feel about the stock right now? Look, I think this is the stock that you got to have in your portfolio. This stock is one of the these stock you have to in your portfolio. This company has, first of all, has done very well and has shown a strong track record of building data centers and signing up very significant large clients. And recently, it's won quite a few contracts really fill up, actually adding to a lot of pipeline of what is to come in the next few years. At the same time, just recently expanded into Asia, Malaysia, and it gives a foothold into what is a really rapidly growing market over there as well. So to us in Australia, really, it's the only way to benefit or to see any benefit of the AI, this rise of the uh, generative AI is through the next DC. If we look at the demand since the launch of ChatGPT late last year, every large company in America have talked to significant increase in usage in data, even Microsoft. Microsoft recently at Result, they talked to that they are going to grow their data center usage more than 40% a year for the next three years. Now, they're going to build some themselves and the rest they need someone else to build. And that is an incredible amount of demand. Next CC is sit right in the middle of this and we think it will be a huge beneficiary of what is to come. And it is also a very low risk play for the exposure to that whole new AI space because it's not there to generate the technology because we all know in the infant stage of these uh, uh, new technology trends, winner and loser hard to work out. But one thing we're sure to know is there will be a lot of data to come through and NextDC is an incredible position in there. Very strong balance sheet. It's got a very strong list of investors has been there for many, many years. And knowing that this is a secular trend, to me, NextDC is almost like an infrastructure stock for the future. Yeah, so I think any portfolio should really have that to future-proof the portfolio. Mm, look, that's a great summary. And look, we recently, uh, under your advice back there, capital raising 
uh, which obviously came at a good time just ahead, I think, of uh, ChatGPT coming out. Yeah, that's right. Um, but where are they going to spend that capital? What are those growth options? I think you alluded to them a little bit, but maybe expand on uh, where those growth options are for the next two or three years. Absolutely. So what they're looking into is that they're growing into Malaysia. Now, Asia is a massive market compared to where we are. Clearly, it's, it's going to be a little bit more competitive compared to what Australia is. But given their team of management, their execution and their whole team, uh, whole portfolio of clients, we do believe there's a huge opportunity of for what they could do over there. Now, Malaysia is essentially a foothold at this point. So, you know, it comes with a bit of data center and a bit of uh, um, smaller contracts. But what it does is that they can start then bidding for newer markets like Singapore and uh, a few other areas, maybe even China. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in those markets where they can grow into. And to us, it's really a, a lower risk way of playing to those markets. And how do you think about the valuation? Clearly, these structural themes are well known and this is an infrastructure type play, but how how do you think about the valuation? Yeah, so in terms of the valuation for this stock, you really have to run your normal DCF because it's a growth stock and your ultimate value is in the future. Now, to us, the valuation was looking a little bit stretched previously. If they didn't have expansion into all these new areas, if they didn't have, you know, the chat GPT wasn't anywhere to be seen, perhaps it does look a little bit more expensive. But we're always mindful of stocks like this because there's so much development in the new technology area that there will always be demand. You know, compared to the data usage before Apple iPhone came along, we're incredible multifold compared to what it is then. And this, when we spoke to the management when ChatGPT first came out, their first comment was, I've never been so excited since the iPhone launch. So this is huge. And then attending all the technology forum in the US in March, every company has talked to how much new data they're going to use and how much they're going to integrate those things. We just see the future is enormous. And so we're very mindful in terms of have a hard valuation because you really need to see the growth, how the growth will pick up over the next few years because it's going to be exponential. And finally, maybe uh, talk to us about the management team. Uh, Obviously, you've known them for for some time. What is it about them that really impresses you? I mean, their track record's great, but how do they impress you? Look, I think the good thing is that they've got the track record is very important. And, uh, you know, obviously they're very excitable like me. They just seems to be very, very tapped into a lot of those newer trends that's coming through. And secondly, I think what's very important is that they... They manage the expectations well. One thing about the equity market is that when the result comes and everything, analysts sometimes can get carried away, whether they get too excited and they're expecting so much from you and you may deliver a good result, but then you disappoint on the day because, you know, everyone's expecting way too much. So management is very good in communicating a lot of messages, keeping all the investors on the same page as what's happening. And they, they're quite conservative in trying to get people's expectation more realistic. And then in turn, that they can outperform on the day of the result and things. They always give very good forward guidance in terms of what is to come. May not be in the result, but they will talk to the forward how many uh, things are in the pipeline to come. And to me, that is very important for to ensure just the share market is not surprised because, you know, when, when the market is surprised, you tend to create unnecessary volatility for the market. Yeah, look, I think it's an increasing issue these days, particularly with machines that's right. <laughs> running the market. Uh, that's right, that's right. You yeah. can be harshly treated. And for a company like this, that's problematic because they will need to raise capital further, I assume, Absolutely. to keep growing. Um, absolutely, absolutely. That's right. 
Excellent. Well, look, let's move on to our second stock in the fund, which we've added to recently, mm. um, which is one of the best performing stocks ever on the ASX. So it's, it will be well known to many of our listeners. But let's dive more deeply into CSL and what you like about it right now. Look, it is the, probably the most successful Australian story listed many decades ago and now global, a truly global business and has always been the leader and has delivered incredible compounded return for many, many years to come. But what we love about it is that, well, there's threefold. Well, first of all, this company is very well positioned to deliver the double digit return over the next three years, probably the highest return amongst the healthcare sector not comparing to Promenicus and a few others, uh, but highest return within the healthcare space. And these growth are not subject to economic slowdown or any of those economics, you know, whether it's recession and anything else. So to me, it's a very defensive growth that this company will deliver over the next three years. Now, so that is very attractive. Secondly, incredibly, this company is now trading at perhaps the cheapest point almost in the decade. And we'll dive into why that is the case. So, you know, it's going to grow very well. It is so cheap. And lastly, we think the upcoming results, it's going to have pretty good numbers. And then the companies can then talk to some of the things that we believe it is happening. So why is it share with such a good growth? Why is the market recognizing it? Well, it is kind of the characteristic at the moment of the current marketplace. Um, you know, investors are very short term at the moment. They wanted to buy things that has, um, you know, like everyone else is buying, which is the likes of Woolworth your coals and, you know, your infrastructure-like stock, even though some of them have become incredibly expensive, but people don't want to take any risk. Now, CSL more recently have talked to that because of the currency and a few other things, but mainly it's the currency, um, so that its earnings, instead of, you know, over 20% growth, will be a little bit lower. It's double digit, it'll be a little bit lower. And, um, that has caused a lot of disappointment. I've seen the share price move from over $300 to $260. Now, this is very, very unusual. For my two-decade experience in the share market, rarely do we see a large company like CSL move by this this much. Now, that's just a signal that the market is really filled with a lot of passive people, passive as in, you know, the quantitative people, not so much active investor. Knowing this company, this company has never disappointed. I, I think my entire career, this is probably the second time that they have uh, not so much disappointed, really push out the growth second time in 20 years. That is incredible. And if I believe, if anything, once they get to the result, they will talk to, you know, why that is the case. It's actually not not because of something operational. It's just, you know, it's a currency and there's a few other issues, which is well, you should be putting below below the line. So to me, it's a very strong opportunity and that has caused the short-term disjoint in terms of intrinsic value and the share price. And, you know, to us, this is a really good buying opportunity. Yeah, fantastic. That's interesting. And maybe just to delve into two issues. Firstly, they've made an acquisition in Europe. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because it's quite a large acquisition. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So this is the second largest acquisition they've made. The previously, probably 10 years, 7, 10 years ago, they made an acquisition, which is built growing into the flu area. Um, now, at the time when they made the acquisition, there was a lot of skepticism because CSL has grown for many, many years by delivering IG and the like and dominate that space. 
And company always had a strategy that they do want to expand into other categories and then diversify the earning, which is the right thing to do because eventually there will be more better therapies and the like. So you need to diversify and grow. So many years ago, when they grow into the flu, there was a lot of skepticism and the company said, we will deliver, trust us. Literally within, they had a three-year target. They got there in less than two years and then beat it significantly. And now that business is one of the most valuable businesses we're sitting within CSL. Now they made this acquisition again. This acquisition is by four. It's expanding into that biotech space. Now, again, there was a level of skepticism when they made the acquisition and it was a very large capital raising. It is the largest in the ASX history, I think. It has created a bit of indigestion. They call it indigestion. That's, um, you know, most of the investors got a lot of shares and then they're happy to sit within that. But because it's a new business for CSL, again, you know, just a natural inclination is for investors to say, you know what, we're not sure what it's like. We want to see how it trades. And this upcoming result is the first result. They will actually combine this business into uh, the CSL. So there's just a level of uncertainty about what that might look like. But we have seen this business for, we've got a very good history, um, visibility of this business. I think it's a very, very good fit for CSL and it helps it to really diversify into a new area without significant risk. So we're very excited about this uh, business for CSL. And if anything, this upcoming result, you will see significant earnings upgrade because most analysts don't put the earnings in first, they put the equity raising first. So you have seen the earnings downgrade, but not yet upgrade to come through. So this is what we'll see. In a way, it will um, send a very positive signal to a lot of passive funds and showing that, you know what, the earnings upgrade is here, but it's technical. But the company hasn't really had the benefit of really only its earnings in this result. And secondly, the management team has changed a little bit recently. Yeah, that's right. So that's another thing that the market was thinking, oh, new management. But look, I think uh, nothing has changed. CSL is a large global integrated business. The management team at every level has been around for a very long time. And they do their strategy day every year. They do their site tour every year. And always, every time when they have those events, it's always the entire management team. It's not um, <laughs> just one person at the top. So to me, that is not significant enough to indicate a change of guards. And the business itself is performing very well, coming out of COVID and evolve into the next stage of growth. This is one other thing I haven't really touched on. CSL's earning was actually quite meaningfully impacted by COVID because of COVID lockdown. They need to collect blood in the US, in everywhere. When there was lockdown rule, hard lockdown rule, no one was giving blood. So, you know, there was a significant shortage of of IG during the first couple of years of COVID. And then when the world reopened and then when there was a lot of stimulus given to the individual, the lower tier consumer where, unfortunate to say, that where they normally go sell the blood in the US, they didn't come back because there was a lot of stimulus checks still in the system. Up until 12 months ago, we started seeing that um, sort of running out. We're seeing the pickup in the IG collection significantly. That coincides with the US consumer weakness that we witnessed at the same time. In a way, it's almost, um, you know, it works the opposite to the economic activity. And now we're seeing actually very strong supply coming back on and IG prices still quite, you know, very good IG prices. So that means expanding margin, low cost, 
growing revenue, that actually ensures the double-digit growth for the next few years. And then the acquisition that they made that's going to be combined into the business is just adding additional to it. Yeah, look, it's, it's as we were saying before, I think it's one of those stocks where it's hard to judge the COVID effect. And, and as you say, I think many investors haven't quite picked up on the fact that it was quite a difficult time for them. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And, and yeah. that collection centre business actually is at the core of, of, of what they do. That's right. It's quite interesting, but it's kind of understandable. Many investor generalists, when they look at the healthcare sector, they thought, look, healthcare sector should have been the biggest beneficiary during the COVID. But you know what? Half the company were impacted significantly and the other half benefited a lot. But now we sort of started seeing the reverse. The one that benefit is going to the other side, which is, you know, your pathology companies, your testing those sort of businesses are now sort of becoming a bit of a hangover, um, you know, becoming a little bit challenged. Whereas, you know, you look at those reopening businesses like CSL or Ramsey Hospital, the private hospital, is going through that significant pickup. The numbers are big in terms of recovery. And then that's almost certain recovery of volume plus the pricing plus lower cost put these businesses in really, really good position for the next few years. That's great. And look, it sounds like we've got a really good entry point into that stock recently. So thanks for that. <laughs> and just to finish off, I mean, look, through our conversations at Hearts and Minds with our partners, both investors and scientists alike, there's a really common theme in the people that I've met in my first few months in the role. And that's uh, an innate curiosity, which you clearly have. Right now, when you're looking at things, and this could be absolutely anything, what, what's out there that's really piquing your uh, curiosity at the moment? In the share market? Or anything at all. Could be a life <laughs> hack, could be anything. <laughs> Look, I, I, I must say that, uh, you know, I'm curious about lots of things. I must say this ChatGPT is incredibly interesting. Even my daughter is looking into it and I find it's incredibly interesting how it can apply into so many areas. One thing we started diving into is that, um, you know, kind of work and also not work as well, but dive into is that how some of those businesses can utilize this as an opportunity, right? You can have significant amount of efficiency gain productivity will be incredible. However, it does present threat to some other businesses. You know, we we started seeing some companies in Australia. You say that sometimes Australian business is a little bit slower in picking up the trend, but I actually think on this thing, it's actually pretty fast. We spoke to a lot of companies in the last three months about what they're thinking and what they're doing. And many of them already saying we're doing a lot of work into it in how we can come up with our own, how we can integrate that to improve and also to fend off competition. Because what the generative AI is that equalize a lot of level playing field. And it really does allow some of the foreign companies coming to Australia to compete, for example, on the marketplace. It really changed some of those dynamic and maybe help the existing business to be better. But they certainly need to keep going and then to get to, um, you know, really get to that next level and work out how to really benefit from it, just efficiency gain. And it's, a, yeah, that's a fascinating space. With my kids talk to me all the time about how they use it and what school's talking about it. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's certainly very early days um, mm. and it's going to have meaningful impacts in the coming years. I mean, maybe just to finish off, I mean, you are... Uh uh, would you be in the camp of excited or, or scared by this new technology? Oh, look, I'm not scared. I am absolutely excited. Look, we already re- looked through the entire market about how we can directly gain exposure to those. Unfortunately, Australia is still early days um, and you don't want to be exposed to the very speculative end because a lot of them are actually not making any benefit yet. They're just talking about it. So I'm actually excited about what it could do. And it can lower so much cost for our corporates as well and be more efficient. And maybe the labour cost is not going to be that 
significant in the coming years in terms of wage inflation and things. Remember, all these people talk about negative outlook. Oh, you know, wage inflation will be sticky and our inflation will be sticky. Our interest rate will be high. You know what? Maybe in the next few months, we'll see things can improve quite drastically. And that's very beneficial for the economy as a base. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Junbei, for coming on the podcast today. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you again for being part of Hearts and Minds. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It was fabulous to hear from none other than Junbei Lu, Portfolio Manager of Tribeca Investment Partners. A massive thank you to her for sharing her time so generously today and her ongoing support and commitment to Hearts and Minds. We'll be back next week with another episode to ensure you never miss a conversation. Please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. And better yet, if you can share it with someone in your network that you think will enjoy this discussion. Your support is appreciated. Until next time, stay curious. This is a Hearts and Minds podcast in partnership with Equitymates Media. This communication has been prepared by Hearts and Minds Investment Limited, ABN 61-628-753-220. In preparing this publication, the investment objectives, financial situation or particular needs of an individual have not been considered. You should not rely on the opinions, advice, recommendations and other information contained in this publication alone. The inclusion of third-party content does not in any way imply any form of endorsement by HM1 of the products or services provided by persons or organisations who are responsible for the third-party content. This publication has been prepared to provide you with general information only. It is not intended to take the place of professional advice and you should not take action on specific issues in reliance on this information. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance.